everyone. Welcome to Less Seen, Less Heard, Stories from the Margins. I'm Craig Andrade, Associate Dean of Practice, Director of the Activist Lab, Professor of Community Health Science at Boston University School of Public Health. Today with me, I have Adeze Okore and Grace Landry. My name's Adeze Okore. I also go by Desi. And I'm currently in my first year of the MPH program here at Boston University School of Public Health. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I was originally born in Nigeria and my family moved here when I was about two years old to New Hampshire and that's where I've grown up. And that's kind of where the origin of our story will be starting. I'm Grace Landry and I am a senior at Drexel University. I'm studying product design and also minoring in public health. And I also grew up in Nashua, New Hampshire, which is how um, Desi and I got connected through Nair and also, I guess, pronouns she, her. Thank you very much. So, so tell us about Nair. I'll let you start, Grace. Okay, so I can kind of start a little bit on what led me up to starting the petition, which eventually led us to connect and uh, co-found what is now NAIR. So for me, it was going into college, uh, my first semester, uh, fall term of my freshman year, I had an English course um, taught by my professor, who's now one of our mentors, Gregory Cook. He um, had a class as an English course, actually, but it was focusing on how our education system failed to teach us about our public education failed to teach us about systemic racism and the class really dove into what is systemic racism and um, kind of understanding what race means and that was something that growing up white in a New Hampshire I had never I had never even heard the term white privilege or systemic racism before that course which was baffling to me and it was like this a moment where I realized like my whole outlook on basically the world and the way things are functioning in our society uh, was skewed and I was like completely incomplete. Uh, so that was kind of my initial like moment. And then that was my fall freshman year. And so that kind of had been at the back of my mind um, as I went through college, which I guess was over kind of, I think it was three years, which brought us to 2020. And um, so after the murder of George Floyd, I realized that I didn't want to like just sit and kind of think about these things I had been um, sitting on and kind of like individually having conversations with family and friends, but realized it was a moment where there's a lot of energy and people wanted to take action. And so that um, led me to start the petition, which was to end whitewashed education um, in social studies education in the state of New Hampshire, because that's when I looked back on my experiences. My I felt like my education really failed to prepare me um, and teach give me a complete understanding of history. And so that petition quickly gathered a lot of support. And I think in the first couple of weeks, it got probably about 4,000 or no, maybe 2,000 signatures. And that's how Desi and I got connected. So I guess, Desi, if you want to kind of give your backstory and then we can go from there. For sure. So um, I grew up in New Hampshire. Um, typically, I was either the only or one of maybe two or three students of color, either in the whole school or in my class. Um, and similar to Grace, I had this kind of awakening moment or enlightenment moment after I had left New Hampshire and started my undergraduate education. And um, I didn't really have, I wasn't really equipped with the tools to understand the systemic nature in terms of how racism operates in a lot of our systems, whether it's the education system, the justice system, um, employment opportunities, the wealth gap, et cetera. And so, 
when I took a class, it was called Controversies About Inequality. Um, that was when we started very intentionally engaging with history in its totality and understanding how the past very much comes into play in the present and you can't separate the two. Um, and so that was a really, really critical moment for me to be able to now engage academically with um, understanding how the systems are at play here. And so then similar to Grace in the summer of 2020 after the murder of George Floyd, I felt a lot of emotions as a woman of color. Um, a lot of it was pain, um, disheartened, discouragement, anger, but I also just had to do something. And I, that's when I saw that Grace had started this petition on Instagram. And to me, this journey with Nair has very much been one of faith. And I'm just like, thank God for how things have worked and aligned for us to have the journey that we've had together because I didn't know what was going to start when I DM'd her on Instagram saying, hey, like, I love that you started this petition. Thank you so much. Um, I want to get involved and like, I want to see how I can help do something in, in this community that we're both from. Um, so I DM'd her and then we started talking and then the plan now came together where we decided that we were going to do something tangible with the system um, or with our community. And so we started, it started off as New Hampshire Education Reform Initiative. And we can talk more about like the story, but it, it ended up being a very necessary pivot that we had to make with what our initial plan was um, because we realized that as students, even though we had that passion and that very valid and important experience as students in the education system, um, there was a piece to understanding how teachers and um, administrators understand the system and how it works and how to actually effectively move change forward. And so it was conversations with those people that helped us to see what our place in making change would look like. Conversations with teachers and, and, and others, were there other people other than teachers like administrators? Yeah. Um, yeah. So when we had, it would be helpful. We gave to some context of how we shifted because when we, when I had wrote that petition, I had this mindset of if we change the state standards, then we'll change all of history education. But we, I guess we were able to, because of the amount of people that are active on that, on social media at the time, we got connected with a lot of people very organically, but very quickly. And so we want to kind of talk to people who were, in, would be impacted by teaching the curriculum and learn about their experiences. And so once we talked to teachers, we realized that the trickle down effect of the state standards doesn't really reach the classrooms in the way that um, originally had thought. And so the, we, we kind of had to pivot because we recognized that districts adopt the state standards, but then also teachers then have another layer of uh, flexibility within what they actually teach in the classroom. And we also recognize that if curriculum was changed, but teachers haven't done the personal work, then that could almost do more harm than anything. Um, and so it's kind of the cycle of like, we wanted the curriculum does need to change. There needs to be the administrative support to adopt that, but then also there needs to be the personal work done by the teachers that um, allows them to be able to teach this. And so those conversations kind of shifted the focus um, and also allowed us to realize that our role as students um, brings that a different lens than people who necessarily are creating curriculum or teaching, but that we could connect to current students or people who are recent graduates like ourselves and um, relate to that experience and kind of speak to that more than um, people who are creating the curriculum. So we kind of shifted that focus. Then also the name change from, as Desi mentioned, we started off 
as New Hampshire Education Reform Initiative, we recognize the need to call out um, racism and anti-racism as our focus uh, to not have that be something that was lost in what we were trying to, to highlight in our work. Got it. So for so we're all, in, including our audience members, understanding and, and, and being on the same page around what you mean. Describe um, whitewashing education. The way that I can kind of conceptualize this idea of whitewashing, I connect it to Chimamanda Ngozi's um, TED Talk, where she talks about the danger of a single story. And so we understand in the United States that um, white people have been historically that group that has been in power um, and that has derailed and kept other communities of color, women, other gender identities, sexualities, et cetera, minority people kind of at back in order for them to advance and maintain their power. Um, and so with Chimamanda Ngozi's TED Talk, she talks about this danger of a single story where looking at history from a singular lens puts us in a very detrimental position to think that that is the entire truth. And so we end up losing the voices of everybody that actually makes up the full history of the United States. Mm. Um, and so that's personally like my own personal connection is seeing that whitewashing is a singular perspective rather than the collective ex experiences of many different identities and people who have um, contributed to the building, the sustaining, the advancement of this nation since, since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Go ahead, Grace. I would also say something to Desi, as we were mentioning that, something I was kind of remembering was um, in my English class, that one I had referenced in the beginning of my um, college experience, my teacher uh, talked about how when referencing, and this was the first time I had ever like realized this, was when he was saying, like, for example, if there was a graph that said, like, um, American men and women, it didn't break down and it was typically referencing white women. And like, uh, and then if you broke that down further, the difference in, I think the chart we were looking at at that point was um, like income. And so comparing that white woman compared to black women. And like, that was something that I felt like when I think of whitewash education, I didn't understand that the disparities that existed because my education was solely focused on the white person's experience. Um, and I think something that isn't necessarily is kind of comes out of whitewash education, but might not be solely just in whitewash education is also this disconnect between the history and the present. And I feel like the way that our education presented what's happening today and the way that I was taught about history was very much as racism is a thing of the past. We're here, that's fixed, that's no longer an issue. Um, and so I think that was something that I saw and Desi and I have talked about is like, was real problem with like the way our education presented um, the history of our country. So can you say a little bit more about the detail of what, what are the elements that the petition and now NAIR as a, as a, as a campaign, a movement is, is aiming to do? Are there specific um, things that you want changed or uh, enacted? I can start. Um, so Speaking to what Grace has already named in terms of the lack of, I think the critical thinking um, scale that is bred in the classroom from a young age from that K through 12 education, um, that is very much, I'd say our hope is 
bringing that back into the classroom, the critical thinking lens to look at history holistically um, because of the intersectionality and the many different peoples that make up um, the United States history. And um, Craig, when I was watching that panel that you did recently on critical race theory, um, I was really just reflecting on how like unfortunate and such a disservice it is to like remove the ability to think critically in the classroom because of how it robs us to be informed citizens and take part in change making in our communities. Mm. Um, like Representative John Lewis, um, who is now passed, um, he very much believed in the importance of education to make change. And one of his books that I had been reading across that bridge, he named how um, people need to be informed about like the legislative legislative process as well as our complete and true history um, in order to like organize and, and make change like for the systems in the areas and injustices that we've identified as people. And without that tool, it's like we're kind of stuck in this weird and unfortunate cycle of just repeating and repeating um, injustices that just are perpetuating. So I know that that as a tool, as a concept is something we hope for in terms of policy. And it's currently we're seeing such an attack on that in terms of the legislation that's been passed with book banning and, and absolutely just um, denying the space to hold uncomfortable conversations that are rooted in diversity of any type, really. I think, yeah, I mean, you summarized a lot of that really well. And um, I would say, like you're just like you were saying, the critical thinking piece of it is something that I don't think I got until I was in um, my college education, which really pushed me to connect the dots that I was never, never saw like the line between before. Um, so where are you at? What point are you at now in, in this campaign? Is, is, a, is a campaign, is that a, a, a correct frame or movement? How would you describe it, Grace? I would say um, we're actually looking to start a campaign upcoming, but I guess organization, uh, community, community, I would say. A community organization. Mm -hmm. um, so what, where are you now in, in Nair's, um, a community organization? Um, I would say what we've kind of, we were kind of in this constant journey of like shifting and adapting to the, what we're hearing and where the needs are. So I would say, uh, kind of give like context to the journey, uh, in the beginning, it was really just connecting with teachers and understanding their needs. And then that shifted to focusing on students, uh, recognizing we could, there was a real need to empower students as, um, schools were adapting different, um, policies and kind of trying to shift in, um, at that, I think, in, especially in September of 2020, there was at least more work being done to support different anti-racist policies being implemented in schools. And so, but since 2020, it feels like almost a shift reversing where our legislation is now um, preventing and like, uh, what is that, like undoing a lot of the work that was get, trying to be done. And so we're, we see now we're shifting into more of a focus that's mobilizing young people to vote and be engaged politically, because um, that's something that we've recognized is there is 
education is so, especially public education is so connected to um, politics and the legislation. Mm. And so um, really getting young people mobilized so that they, we can get people in um, positions of power that are supporting legislation that would then enable education and anti-racist education specifically to be taught in schools rather than be um, like the policies now that are banning it and banning any, like Desi was saying, any uncomfortable discussions. So that's kind of going to be our focus for, especially with these upcoming elections, there's a lot of opportunities in New Hampshire to make sure we have people that are supporting this kind of work. So this is particularly a counter um, move to um, mitigate the present or, or potential um, legislation around book banning, um, avoiding conflict in class, um, um, avoiding anything that would make people feel, quote unquote, guilty for being white or things like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I'd even add to that, Craig, just like, because I know personally, this has been such an impactful, like kind of space to be in from the position of, at the time, an undergraduate student, recent undergraduate and now graduate student. Um, and just a young person from New Hampshire to recognize that like us as a collective are such pivotal and instrumental people to mm. push this change forward. Um, and being able to rally people who are like us um, from the state to recognize like just the, the urgency of this movement, the urgency of like this righting the wrong that's, that's happening. Um, and the need to like, I guess, grow in that skill to talk about it and kind of not brush it off and think that, oh, it's not really a big deal. Um, because I know personally, like I'm terrified seeing Mm. the legislation that's passing, um, wondering like, what will this mean for people, for teachers and for future generations of kids who won't know some of like the very, um, instrumental like giants in the civil rights movement, the women's rights movements, um, for example, like just won't know those people because they weren't intentionally engaging them in the classroom. It's very daunting to me to think about that. Um, so just really being able to mobilize people of our age and not uh, take for granted or miss our moment with it, um, as well as just like being able to be kind of a space outside of like that hub that is being attacked right now, the classroom for people to engage with anti-racist and just like diverse um, education material too. I know that something that we have coming up is another uh, film screening slash workshop event um, looking at black women's role in World War II and like the unique experience that they had um, because of the intersectionality that they had as not just women, but black women and not just black people, but as black women. Um, yeah. So can you say, I heard you Desi say, you know, so you're, you're, this is resonating with people like you. And you said, I heard in that you, people like you and Grace, New Hampshire, uh, as many people know, is one of the whitest states in the country. How has this landed in your local community? And have you heard um, uh, or received feedback um, from anyone, whether that be in um, social media or in person? Or say a little bit more about that, Desi. And so when we initially 
re-emerged as Nair, one of the first things that we did was kind of this testimonial campaign um, on our Instagram page to connect with people our age to hear like, what is it that you're, um, or why do you feel that New Hampshire needs reform in its education system? And a lot of people came back with very passionate responses that connected to, I know, mine and Grace's story. Um, and I was also going to ask you a little bit about this, Craig, because I know you mentioned it before, but growing up in New Hampshire, as you mentioned, being like over 90% white, um, I never had a, a teacher of color, period, growing up K through 12. Um, and looking back now, like a lot of students were asking, like, why is that the case? Like, that's not something that we should just be like, oh, that's the norm, that's the status quo, but challenging that um, mm -hmm. and seeing so many people talk about their experiences coming from college to see what they missed out on, now having a different lens on what it was that they were taught in New Hampshire and being like, oh, there are so many gaps there. Like, why wasn't I taught this? Almost feeling like they were like, um, a wrong was done to them in terms of mm. what they had actually received in the classroom. What was your experience and what you what you received from those queries? And then I'd add, um, have you received negative feedback? Yeah, I would say also something we found even talking with the teachers and the people that we had the or direct conversations with, it was almost a constant kind of statement that everyone made was once I either they moved out of New Hampshire or they went to college and then kind of had the same um, experience where they had that moment of like looking back. And, and that's something that I think is very frustrating looking at people who go through the New Hampshire education don't get that chance to get out of the state because it's hard to be like, you don't know what you don't know. Like I look back at myself before I went to college and I was still me, but I was such an ignorant version of myself. So it's like, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I really at the same time could be doing, I feel like horrible, like not horrible, but like really harmful things if I never got um, a different like perspective and got out of the state and got that um, talk to people who weren't like myself. And so I think, yeah, that was a story that reson that kind of experience resonated with a lot of people. Um, in terms of the negative pushback, we have been quite fortunate with, I would say majority, like we haven't really had um, directly negative feedback or people that have been coming to us um, maybe I'm trying to think like maybe one or two comments on our post that people don't that don't agree or don't understand what we're saying and um, I think for us it's been trying to navigate that with like having people reflect on their own experiences and I guess something that as we've kind of approached this work it's been rather than us trying to tell people what they need to believe and what um, we, we feel is right for them to support or to do or to think um, it's trying to really inspire people to re like reflect inward through a lot more questioning so the way we've approached social media is to to prompt people with a lot of questions so if we are like sharing a story that we think is really important we'd share that but then follow up with like how does this resonate with your experience why do you think this is and I think that actually has allowed us maybe to avoid some of that pushback by having people be more reflective than necessarily pushing things onto them and, and I think at least from my experience, like I, a lot of this work has been reflective and my own self looking inward and like, what are my experiences? Like, how does this counter what I originally thought? And then kind of doing that personal work. And so I think it's not just about like pushing out an, 
and re kind of regurgitating a statement. So I, I think maybe that's been a part to why we've been, haven't had such, um, such pushback directly. So you've been, am I hearing correctly, you've been really encouraging that you that self, that reflection, you've done that yourselves in both individually, and then in your engagement in so, social media and with communities directly in school, for example, you've been encouraging um, and offering these questions for people to do their own self reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fairly radical approach. <laughs> How did you come to that? Desi? For me, it's just been such a pleasure working with Grace because like we have had very similar mindsets in terms of approaching this. And I'm so grateful for her to have been like my partner in this work um, to be like, if I'm reading some content or just like thinking about the past experience that I've had in New Hampshire, I am being reflective about it. I'm asking myself, okay, what is it that I understand? What is it that I don't understand? Grace is a very similar person in terms of how she approaches the work too. So like we just very much um, complemented each other in that approach. And Mm -hmm. so um, I'll say also personally, I'm not really like a combative person. So to come out and be very like, um, I don't know, just coming out of the woodworks just with such an attacking uh, voice or energy is not me. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if I felt angry and I felt very passionate about something like I, wouldn't be able to just do that with somebody and so I I appreciated it's not necessarily passive but kind of like a roundabouts way of engaging with people instead of saying you're absolutely Mm -hmm. wrong or how can you think this but saying like this is what we want to like offer to you go and think about this for yourself talk to your communities talk to the people around you um, to ask them what they think as well and doing that from our social media platform especially in the midst like kind of that peak of the pandemic where so many people were home and just engaging with social media, I think at a higher um, rate, it was effective um, because people were just so like readily engaging with these questions. They were home, like you didn't really have much to do. So it was very much like um, very like divinely timed, I think in terms of taking that approach and like meeting people where they were with these questions. Divinely timed. That's deep right there. Uh, I I have to say, you know, we're we're doing this um, this podcast and having this conversation on Zoom. I so I can I'm I'm looking at you both. There is a disarming nature to to both of you the the kind of um, calm collectedness that you both present. There's also the obvious that um, we can't ignore. Um, you are very different women. Um, with distinct backgrounds and experience and, and um, r- racial perspectives. Um, in, in a way, that in itself is somewhat revolutionary as well. Desi? It's okay. I'll start by saying it's not something that has been very much like at the forefront for me. Like, and so other people have kind of brought that to our attention at times to say like, this is kind of radical or amazing that the two of you are doing this together and like have been just like keeping with it this um for this long and praise god like Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know i don't like i'm not intentionally like planning this out i'm very much like trying to just show up for the opportunities that present itself. And I'm so grateful for wonderful people like Grace who have come along this journey with me. Um, but I, I am so encouraged that like, even if it, I'm not like 
it's not privy to me in the moment or it's not salient for me in the moment how this presents to other people i'm grateful mm. that it's having a positive impact when people mm-hmm. see it to just mm-hmm. like maybe pause and think in that way mm-hmm. um, yeah grace I would say like Desi um, mentioned, we had recently met with one of our mentors and he pointed that out to us. And that, so it's kind of like when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what my um, cook, he's also the person who was my teacher and then also created the film, the documentary that we'll be showing and super cool person. And, but he, he pointed that out to us and it was something that like, again, like Desi, I was like, I don't, I just, it, it just is what it is to me. But I also think that um, we share different perspectives on this, but like have very similar approaches to this work. So I, we've been so fortunate, I feel like, in how we've been able to collaborate through this. And while we have different shared lived experiences, we also have very similar values in the way that we approach this work and the way we think about um, like what we want to do and how we want to um, kind of like let these things happen. Like Desi and I both are very much like what the opportunities that are correct will um, present themselves. And then if it feels right, we'll kind of go forward with that. And um, but also being reflective through the process. So I guess yeah, though it has just been uh, just that, I don't know, it's not something that I feel like was super intentional. We just connected and um, it's been great. Yeah. And I do also want to add, like, it's just making me think of, I believe it's Maya Angelou, but her quote of we are more alike than we are unalike. And I think just being able to connect on the like most important values that make us alike, despite the differences that we shouldn't hide or we shouldn't be ashamed of, or we shouldn't, um, I don't know, stumble over, but bring those along with what it is that we have similarities um, on to just make this the experience that it's supposed to be. As I say, I would also add to something I was just kind of reflecting on was how, um, like one of our mentors, and I remember, especially Desi, I'm not sure if like in the beginning of the work where um, one of our mentors would kind of talk about these different groups of women that were only only white women were trying to enact change in their communities, but then kind of failed to consider different perspectives. And I think though, um, my mentor, when we were meeting with him was also talking about how like at the same time, this work shouldn't be held on the like white people, I feel like in history have been the cause of racism. And so it should be also on us to help undo it. And it shouldn't just be on people of color to do this work. And so I think that's been something as we've approached this, like being, showing that it should be a bridge. It shouldn't just be white people going out and like assuming their perspective is correct, but then also not putting that completely onto people of color to um, carry the burden of what white people in history have done. So I Mm. think that's something that um, has kind of been a theme, especially in New Hampshire is like, I think that's a challenge for New Hampshire too, where there's such a white population, but to make sure that it's, this work is done in a way that considers multiple perspectives and partners together. What do your friends think of this, Desi? I, I would say everything has just been positive in terms of seeing this work being put being pushed forward whether it's like my close friends or just people that um like know me in from the city that I grew up in in New Hampshire um and my hope though is to because I think as we've talked about we've had a lot of intentional conversations with 
teachers in this work, but my hope is to have more of those like spaces that it is people of our age and of our back, like our um, educational background talking about the way that we show up for the work and we bring the gifts that we have been, uh, that have been bestowed upon us to like, to do our part because it's bigger than any one individual, honestly. Um, and so I like, I, I would just say, I'm grateful that it's been positively received by those that I'm close to, those who know me, but also like seeing that as we continue into 2022, I want that to be a more intentional space for Nair. Um, just for the audience's sake, um, so we make no assumptions. When you say um, um, people your age, what is that age? Um, span are you talking about it's that like leaving high school like high school age to undergraduate slash early college graduate age young people is like the mm -hmm. quote unquote. Mm -hmm. yeah. got it got it uh, grace your thoughts yeah, I would also say that it's been um, same, very positive for my friends. They all are feel strong, like support what Nair's doing. The one thing, though, that I would mention that I find interesting and is a challenge, I think, as we're thinking about um, this voter and like young mobilizing young people is that I, ha I have a couple of friends who after um after public school, after high school, um, moved out of the state to get, uh, have like a couple of friends that have moved out to like New York or I have moved to Philadelphia and there's um, things where it's like, will I go back to New Hampshire because of like looking back on that experience? Is that a state that I want to be in? Uh, and I know many of my friends are want to get out and permanently leave the state. And so that's something that I think is how do we like make New Hampshire a place that people like ourselves, like me and Desi and others and um, my friends, like I think about the conversations I've had would want to go back to because that's something that I do think is uh, concerning. And two, when people, the, my friends that move out and support things like Nair, but then because they're living elsewhere, aren't going to be voting in the state. And so they don't have a way necessarily to make that, um, at least as voting, to make change in terms of pol political leaders and electing people. So I think um, that's something that is we were thinking about Nair too, is like, while people have an education in New Hampshire and are impacted by it and have this like maybe once they go out of the state get their get a college education or just have another experience um, and reflect back on what they missed uh, how does how do they then kind of like leverage that experience wherever they end up being because I think this is a bigger than just New Hampshire issue but at the same time not losing people because they then are moved out of the state so I don't really know how we're going to necessarily approach that but that's something that as I was thinking about with friends conversations with my friends um, I think that's kind of a concern. Well I mean there is you you've said it there that this is bigger than New Hampshire <coughs> excuse me but at the same time 2022 election coming up um there is significant reason to be concerned about the, the makeup of the um, um, of nat federal government and, and uh, the House and the Senate. And um, if there is uh, interest in finding ways to, in a sense, beat back some of this impulse around critical race theory and book banning and, and um, dismissing people from um, school committees so that they were not doing any kind of thing that make people uncomfortable or um, removing conflict or dictating a certain way of teaching. 
um, there is an impulse for this to grow bigger in a way that allows people to understand the importance of the 2022 election and, and elections to come, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about how about your parents? Is, is anyone afraid for you, given what, what we see in the larger media, the kind of back and forth of rancor, people yelling at each other in school committee meetings and things like that? Desi? So... I would say that the fear aspect hasn't really touched us. And I'm very grateful for that. But we also are connected with people that unfortunately have had such a really um, daunting, scary, physically and mentally like harmful and at times violent um, experience in this work. And I think it's based on where you're positioned in the work and the change and the movement that's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. People who are teachers, for example, their jobs have now been placed on the line. And that's a completely different position to be in than Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. to former students of the system who um, are like outside of the state, but still like staying involved. You know, I think it's like, we're kind of removed from a level and we've heard those stories and we just like, I know we're so grateful for the people who are like, quote unquote, on the ground doing that work where it is dangerous. And and it's like, these are the thing that like, just really clenches my heart is these are real people. um, But I don't know that they're seen as that when they're being attacked. And hearing Mm -hmm. the stories of like, some of our mentors, some people that we've connected to, um, who have testified in support, like live and in support of or against um, harmful legislation, 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 and um, the way that because they're so connected to it, they've been attacked and they've been threatened. Um, and I'm just very grateful that I haven't had to, and um, to my knowledge, Grace hasn't had to experience that um, in the work that we've been doing. But it's it's just like heartbreaking to know that our experience is not, I guess, the norm for a lot of people on the ground doing this work in New Hampshire. Grace, has has, has there been any fear in your family or your friend group or uh, that uh, of you doing this work that may put you in danger, that that they worry for you? I would say also, I know, I think, um, the only person for Desi and I that we've had some mentors that are just been impacted, as she mentioned, that uh, kind of like are looking out for us that just say like, be aware of these things. And um, I would say it's been more people who are mentors to us and to myself that have kind of like hinted at like, be cautious. But at the same time, I think, um, as Desi said, there's a different level of caution that I feel like we take as people who don't necessarily have stake in the interactual careers right now being lost as a result of us speaking against um, some sort of like education policy. Uh, but yeah, I think mostly, mostly the people around me have been supportive. My family's been very supportive. Um, just mentors being like, you know, just be cautious to us and be aware because mm-hmm. they've, they've themselves have seen the impacts. So, Desi, did you ever think that someone would introduce you as uh, a Desi Akore um, social activist, um, advocate for racial justice? Uh, no. 
I definitely um, did, like I mentioned, when I DM'd Grace on Instagram, um, that fateful day, I'm so grateful. (laughs) But I really had no clue. This has really just been a one day at a time with God thing to see, like, where are we being led? And how can we serve to the best of our ability here with what we've been given? Um, And, like, I'm just grateful to be here and I'm trying to steward over this well. And like, um, I'll let Grace speak for herself, but I know like the longer, like now that we're in 2022 and it's like, oh, we started this in 2020 and we're still here. It's like an internal pressure of like, all right, let's just keep the momentum, but let's also, we've had a lot of conversations. Um, I'm just saying like, this is our, our phrase. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So like, let's pace ourselves and do this well with what's in front of us right now. Um, and it's just like, I, I couldn't have like asked for just a better and more um, supportive group and community and partner in this work to just still be moving along slowly but surely um, in the work. And so, yeah, I absolutely did not envision this for myself. And in terms of, oh, what's going to happen in the future? God only knows, but prayerfully we'll be ready. And I'm just like, I'm so grateful that people not beyond us continue to show up. Um, Mm. It's it's not like, it's not just, oh, this one pocket. We've, we've also talked about in this work, like so many people are doing this work um, very effectively in their relative communities and their towns and their cities in New Hampshire. And our hope is for that to not be siloed, but to be, to be connected um, so that the work is moved forward more effectively. So there's not like resource doubling um, and people can learn from the bright spots that exist in like their neighborhoods or their na- neighboring towns. Grace, social justice advocate and a racial equity warrior. What does that sound like to you? Yeah, I mean, I second Desi where it's like, I think I've, oh, like I always, I want to have a positive impact in this world. And that's been something since I was a kid. Like I never always had, grew up, had the values of like, my family is very much like, do work that's meaningful to you. And I think I never saw myself as someone who is going to do work that felt like I was it didn't, it felt disconnected from myself. I don't think I ever saw where Nair is now, what we're doing. Um, could never have predicted this, but definitely I, I've always like, feel like Desi and I align on this air core is like doing meaningful things. Um, and I think that's something that's kind of like been my compass as I've prior to Nair even is like doing, doing work that I feel like is contributing positively. Um, it's kind of just something that I feel like too, growing up with my family has been. And something that I think Desi, you've mentioned kind of when you're talking about the story of Nair. And I feel like I want to expand on a bit too um, from earlier, just remembering is uh, when we were talking about kind of how we approach this work as being more reflective and that's not kind of a typical way to approach this. Um, something that I was thinking about with that original English class I had and my mentor and then kind of the way that I approach things is um, he actually would start our class with uh, five minutes of meditation. And because he's a very spiritual person and both Desi and I are and like that, um, 
I think that's something that I don't often see. We don't often see like connected is this being uh, spiritual work and like very mm. internal. Um, and so I feel like because Desi and I can both bring that lens to how we're approaching this, I think that has helped us align and then also be very intentional with the projects that we take on. Um, not necessarily knowing where that's going to bring us, but at least being thoughtful and can like taking that moment of pause to reflect on like, what are we going to do? Why are we doing it? How is this kind of um, going to contribute to where we're hoping to go and what we want to do? And I think that is something that has allowed us to kind of continue to sustain this and make sure we're not overburdening ourselves and burning out. But um, yeah, I do. I find that like that approach and thinking about my English class, just having that mindfulness, we would do five minutes of meditation, um, is such a, I thought that was a super radical way to have class. And then to, we would go into like discussion. And so I think that's something that I kind of draw on when I'm thinking about the work in there. Well, that's great to hear. I have a long years of, of meditative practice and it really has served me well. And if we could get more people to meditate in the world, we might make a better world right with that practice in itself. Um, we're, we're getting close to time. There were a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. And, and I, I, as we spoke before we started the recording, you're welcome to ask me any questions. Could you, do you want to say a little bit about the film that you've mentioned? Yeah, I can mention that. So um, we're going to be hosting an event at the end of March to, as Desi described earlier, to highlight um, the history of Black women in um in World War II and their role, but it was created, that is a documentary created by my professor, mentor, just person who I think is awesome, um, is Gregory Cook, and that's, I believe it's called Invisible Warriors, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a documentary, and they, they're telling their stories of um, the women who were Rosie the Riveters, telling their stories of the work that they did, um, and how their, like, intersectional identities uh, kind of led them through how they were able to contribute, but then also what their experiences were. And then connecting that history to kind of show the way that too, we're um, really hoping to like highlight this is to show what there's this whole like piece of history that I feel like was left out and kind of um, emphasizing that our, our history was not complete because that was something like the perspective of uh, the role that Black women played in World War II was something that I never learned through my public education until really talking with Cook. So I think that, um, yeah, that's the documentary that we'll be screening uh, with Cook. He'll be attending and doing live Q&A, which will be a really neat opportunity to connect with him. And um, he's just a really awesome person. So yeah, he'll be there at that event for a Q&A too, which will be really neat. That's in New Hampshire? It will be uh, online. I think huh. we're figuring out exactly like how we want to, I guess, if we want there to be a certain group of people, like if it just teachers or kind of how we want to um, focus that event. And because, but yes, that is to come. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd like to put in a plug for an invitation if possible. Um, what, one other question I, I wanted to ask you, if Desi, if, if you were to ask your ancestors something, mm -hmm. What would that be? And then the other question, I'm saying this out loud, obviously, Grace, for you to, to be able to respond as well, too. So what would you ask of your ancestor and what would you what might you say to a younger or older you can pick of yourself? That is such a powerful question. Wow. <laughs> um, hmm. 
Hmm. I think if I were to ask, and when I, I'm thinking of presently about like my grandparents, um, two of them on my father's side, I did not meet. And then I met them on my mother's side. Um, but I think my question to them would be like, how do they navigate like just showing up every day <laughs> to do what they feel like they've been called to do and how do they navigate those like stuck periods um because I think that's something that we all face in whatever work that we're doing whether it's like self-doubt or imposter syndrome um what is it that they have been drawing strength from um and what is it, what is it that they would advise me on if they could and I history and like timeline wise, I feel like <laughs> we could, we could jump those barriers. So it wasn't like, what do you mean? You talk to people on a computer. <laughs> what is that? But just like, what is it that they would say to me to advise me and to just encourage me um, in terms of the work that I want to do and the impact that I want to have in the world? Mm. Yeah. Do you have any sense of what they might say? I know my grandfather on my mother's side, um, he was a very strong man of faith. He grew up in the church, the Christian church. And um, one of his mottos was like the fruits of honest labor. Um, and he, I think, would just very much continue to steer me. And I don't know fully, but I think I'm, I'm inclined to say that he would very much steer me towards honest, good work that mm -hmm. connects with people and is relational. And that I think now that I'm even just reflecting on that, it's very encouraging because I know that this work has been exactly that, like relational, especially in its nature, because we've had to just meet people where they are and talk to them. And it's very like, um, yeah, just, it's not disconnected. Like I have to face you as a human being. You have to face me as a human being that we have to talk about something that may be difficult, but, um, yeah, just being able to center that humanness. But I don't know fully what else you would say. <laughs> hmm. Let me I'll pause the other question and I'll ask um, Grace this next question and come back to you. So Grace, if you were to ask your ancestor, what would, what would you ask and who, who might that be? Um, what do you think that they might say? Oh, I feel like it's so hard, Desi. You had such a beautiful question. And so I will say, I'll say my original one, but then Desi said hers. I'm like, oh, mine isn't that good. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Um, my, my original thought, I was like thinking in the context of Nair, I feel like, well, I know the person I would want to talk to and I think would have amazing stories. Is So my um, great grandmother lived to 97. She lived this like beautifully full life um, up until like her last year. And she just was like an incredibly hardworking woman. And I, she was one of those people that even when she was in her nineties, like walk to the grocery store and like would kind of do her walks every day. And she was always so active, involved in community and her family was so important. And so I'm like, I know I would ask her a question because um, I think she just has a wealth of knowledge, but I, I was originally, okay. My like not deep, meaningful question was like, what is kind of like your role in like, how do you kind of contribute to this society or like, what's your kind of position in the system? And like, 
I think the reason I was thinking that is because I feel like I've shifted in, I feel like my idea of like, what is my purpose and like, how am I contributing to this world as a singular individual is constantly changing and what I want and like, what I value is always, especially going through college, I feel like what I came in school and where I am now is so different. And it's constantly changing. But um, I guess maybe that is like, as someone that she's lived this like incredibly long life and has definitely has lots of wisdom is kind of like, I guess, what are her like values and kind of, yeah, how she sees herself being contributing to the society. Cause I look at her and be like, she was an amazing woman. Um, but yeah. How does she see her value? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that would be my question. That's a pretty good one. Okay. <laughs> I don't uh, know. Uh, <laughs> Desi, what would you, 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 if you could talk to your younger self or your older self, you choose, mm-hmm. what, what advice would you offer? Um, I think I would talk to my younger self because um, I know she exists. <laughs> and I know that there are a lot of things that I, growing up, like, especially as a Black woman in New Hampshire, like, that internalized racism and just, like, not mm-hmm. having a good under or value self-love of who I am, um, mm. it would, like, it would very much pile on there at certain times of my life growing up. And so I think I would go back just to comfort myself and, like, give myself hope, like, you're going to be okay because um, that is something that I... I'm grateful, like, God has really been faithful, I think, in in terms of just bringing me through a lot of things, but being able to go back and tell that directly to myself would have been, like, just a powerful experience, but I do know recently a friend of mine had, like, given me this, um, like, task of now, like, writing future letters to myself or, like, recording future, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. messages to myself, which I've been doing more recently and like looking back of things that I've recorded from like college it's like wow like I am so glad that I'm able to see where I was and where I am now and like it's just a very encouraging thing Mm. but I think like I would go back to myself to just encourage myself like you are enough (laughs) you're gonna be okay um God is for you and it's like you have like you're so loved too like it's so easy to feel alone especially this Mm. generation of people Mm -hmm. um young people the loneliness can be much so i can see i i can see lula desi um (laughs) (laughs) saying thank you Um, (laughs) grace if you could go forward or back to offer Mm -hmm. something to your older or younger self what which way would you go and what would you say i feel like i would go to my older self. And I, I don't, I think I would want to kind of see, I feel like, especially so I'm a graduating senior and now like been juggling with like, what am I going to do after school? What's fulfilling? Like, what's this nine to five? Like, is that what I want? And like not knowing, and then being like, how will that all change once I like am an adult and have a family someday? And so I feel like I want to go see my older self and see like, how do those values guide like what I'm 
doing and like where I'm at. And I'm, I have like, I'm sure I'll work out. I'll be great. But I, I feel like getting some wisdom from my older self would be really helpful right now because I'm so, I'm constantly so torn of like, what will, what will my place in this world be? <laughs> like, um, and how will I, how will I get there? So I, I think that would put me a little at ease, but also just like, yeah, get the wisdom from the, the version of me that's lived a bit. I, I I really hate drawing this conversation to a close. This has been a joy. I'm grateful and appreciate both of you. Um, is there any final anything um, last you want to say um, to the listening audience about Nair um, and where you're going with this, uh, Desi? Um, just thank you to everybody from the bottom of our hearts for those who have come along with us in this journey um, and contributed to us like getting to where we are and also the people doing the work that they are in their communities. Um, people who have um, decided to show up. Thank you for showing up to those people. Mm -hmm. Grace? I would just echo that and say, yeah, it's been, it's truly, this is like not a one person, a one organization, a one district. It is like all of us working together. Um, and so I think being able to lean on the incredible people we've connected with has been amazing. And I also think too, just that reminder, Desi, you said this quote earlier, and it really is like our, one of our mantras, like it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I think just being in this and being remaining committed. And even if you kind of like get derailed, being willing to come back. And so I think that's kind of, kind of been our mantra, but I think would be my last closing thing for Nair. Well, wonderful. Thank you both. Um, I, I am grateful for the work and, and, and kind of way you've stepped forward in a, in a breach where there are challenges that many people have gone and um, looked to ignore, um, turn away from. Um, you've, you've turned towards it and turned towards it with a level of grace and mindfulness that is admirable in all kinds of ways. I, I wish you the best. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Mm -hmm.